Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the government awaits recommendations on vaccine passports. If the international community moves towards a proof of vaccination as an ability to enter um, countries from an international travel perspective, it's very important that Canada understand what those, um, those international requirements might be. The NDP votes against Senate amendments to the Medical Assistance in Dying Bill. We don't believe that the Senate should be doing the work of elected officials, and that's why we're voting against the, the Senate amendments. The Defence Minister is called to answer more questions about the handling of allegations of sexual misconduct in the Canadian Forces. No elected official should ever be part of an investigation to, to lead any type of investigation. It has to go to the appropriate authority so an independent investigation can be conducted. And that's exactly what has taken place here. It's Friday, March the 12th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief, Althea Raj. Althea, good morning. Good morning, Mark. And I guess this is your last day as the Ottawa Bureau Chief with HuffPost Canada uh, as a result of uh, much publicized news this week. I'm very sorry to hear that, and I wish you luck in whatever is next. Thank you very much, Mark. That's really sweet. I think it came as a shock to all of us, but I'm pretty confident my talented team will all land on their feet. I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. So... Let's turn to the stories of the day and uh, let's talk about the latest regarding vaccines. Uh, We're expecting more and more of them to arrive and more and more of them to uh, be injected into the arms of Canadians in the days ahead now, not just weeks ahead, but days ahead. And yet there are still problems that are arising. Uh, There is even news that Uh, the Conference of Catholic Bishops of Canada is saying that a particular vaccine should not be uh, uh, should not be accepted, uh, received by Catholics in this country. So give us the latest on what's happening with vaccines. Yeah, so yesterday, late Thursday, the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops um, issued, I guess you could say a clarification statement to their earlier statement, saying that there was um, basically, no moral problem. It was morally permissible to use any vaccine if you were not given a choice. And basically, the, the question is about choice, because very few Canadians, at least at the moment, even though there are four approved vaccines, have the choice of which vaccine they they can take. Um, and so in their earlier uh, statements, the Catholic bishops had basically said that uh, no, uh, no follower should be taking the AstraZeneca vaccine because it has been derived from cell lines that were derived from aborted fetuses in the 1970s. And so if you were given a choice, and it's clear that they said if you were given a choice, basically please choose another vaccine. But uh, a huge controversy erupted, especially in Quebec, where uh, politicians came out denouncing uh, the direction because, of course, in Quebec, um, there is no choice. In fact, the AstraZeneca vaccine is currently available for seniors. That's in stark contrast to Alberta, for example, where the premier there, Jason Kenney, has said that he believes it's important for people to be given a choice. That's the direction that he's given health officials. Um, and so even in practice, uh, 50 to 64-year-olds can get the AstraZeneca vaccine now if they don't want to wait their turn. Um, there are also health implications uh, to all of this. 
AstraZeneca at the moment uh, is suspended in Austria, Denmark, and Italy because the company is investigating incidents of blood clots among people who have received the vaccination. Now, the company says that none of the uh, potentially contaminated batches, none of the batches involved in those probes were sent to Canada. And so Canada's supply, you know, Canadians should have confidence that their supply is entirely safe. But it raises some questions. You know, we, I think months ago, we're talking about the mRNA vaccine and how that was a new uh, a new way of developing a vaccine that was causing hesitancy among some people. So the question of choice is really emerging as yeah. a key issue. And Ottawa, British Columbia have said basically the best vaccine you get is the one that you're offered. Uh, Ontario is not officially giving people the choice, but um, of course, seniors who are in line at the moment to be vaccinated can kind of select where they're going to get their vaccine, which will dictate which vaccine they can get. Right. They can get vaccinated uh, with Pfizer at a medical clinic or AstraZeneca at a pharmacy. Okay. Speaking of choice, let's talk about the issue of medical assistance in dying. Uh, the bill passed last night. Uh, the NDP voted against the Senate amendments. Um, and uh, does this bring to an end the, the whole saga of this bill back and forth between the House of Commons, the Senate and the courts? The answer to that, Mark, is that we don't actually know yet. Probably, um, if the Senate responds in the same way they they have previously, uh, when the House of Commons said, you know, thank you for your recommendations, um, but mostly no thanks. Um, so the bill did pass last night with the Liberals and the Bleu Québécois um, voting on a slightly amended bill. So they took one of the suggestions. They said no to advanced directives from the Senate, um, and in they put a longer cap on uh, one of the provisions in the bill. So maybe, you know, two years is enough, maybe not. Um, in, all, in all likelihood, it is probably the end. I, I would find it hard for senators to really decide that this is the the ground on which they will pick a fight with the elected House of Commons, especially now that you have a Senate that is really filled with people who are far less partisan and who feel like they already lack uh, legitimacy in in many cases. Um, so uh, it probably is the end. Of course, we still have the fourth looming deadline uh, from that uh, uh, court-imposed extension. That expires on March 26th, so the government is really hoping that it can move forward with this uh, this amended law. Yeah. All right, let's turn to the Defense Committee's uh, investigation and questions into uh, who knew what and when about allegations of sexual misconduct by the former chief of the defense staff and the more recent chief of the defense staff. And uh, Harjit Sajjan, the defense minister, who's at the center of all of this, is going to speak again at the Defense Committee along with a whistleblower today. So bring us up to date on that. Yeah, so we heard this week that the naval officer who had who was threatened for reporting allegations of misconduct against the CDS um, is is going to be appearing at committee. His name is Lieutenant Commander Raymond Tretzi Trotter. I'm not actually sure how to pronounce his name. Um, he will be appearing at committee. He was the one that brought forward um, allegations of misconduct by the, not the current CDS, but the, the just the recent one, uh, Admiral Art McDonald, not Jonathan Vance. So he uh, has temporarily stepped aside, uh, Admiral McDonald, that is, uh, while a police investigation is underway. 
um, we don't know what the detail of those allegations were. So we might hear more about that at committee today. And then, of course, the defense minister, Harjit Sajjan, is again in the hot seat. There's been um, a lot of confusion, I would say, perhaps less generous, about uh, what he knew and what he did with the information that the military ombudsman says uh, he raised with him uh, in March of 2018 about the then uh, chief of the defense staff, Jonathan uh, General Vance. General Jonathan Vance. It's early in the morning. Um, so there's also uh, questions about, you know, what, basically what did he do with the information that the ombudsman had given him? He says, the ombudsman says, that uh, Sajjan did not want to hear the evidence, did not want to see the evidence. Um, it is clear now that the Prime Minister's office was aware of something um, because they've admitted to it, but it seems like they may have been aware of... Um, an allegation that was several, several, several years old, and it's not—that's it, not clear exactly who knew what when. So, uh, hopefully, more answers will come today uh, at committee. It will certainly be an explosive hearing because there's quite a bit there mm. to mine, I would say. Yeah. All right. And speaking of uh, committee hearings, um, <laughs> the Kielbergers uh, apparently are coming back to the Ethics Committee next week. Um, but there are new conditions that they're talking about in terms of uh, of what they're prepared to discuss and not discuss. So um, how do you see this playing out? Well, it's going to be interesting for sure. So after agreeing to, I, I'm even, I think I'm lost in the, um, when they disagreed, agreed, agreed, disagreed. Um, basically, they have agreed after being summoned. So I'm not sure, is that agree? They're forced, forced to appear at mm. committee. They say now, well, uh, well, we'll agree to come, but our lawyer has a right to intervene. So basically what they want is their lawyer to object to questions that MPs are raising on the grounds that there possibly is an investigation against them um, by the Canada Revenue Agency, their charity, we um possibly an investigation by the RCMP. We don't know the RCMP has not confirmed that, but the NDP MP Charlie Angus has written to the RCMP and the CRA, basically asking for a probe. Um, the Conservatives last summer had also written uh, to the RCMP, to uh, the commissioner, asking for a probe of we. So uh, they're basically saying they don't want anything they say to the committee or they're forced to respond to the committee to be used against them in some sort of investigation. So they want their lawyer to interject. Mm. Um, and uh, that would make for probably a very um, ineffective, I would say, from the point of view of MPs on right. that committee uh, session. Um, but it's probably the way the Kielbergers feel that they're most protected um, now having to abide by that summons. I love talking about summons, Mark, because it makes me think, like, um, if only we had a dungeon in the House of Commons where it's a threat of <laughs> if you don't show up, we'll, we'll yeah. put you in jail. Uh, makes sense. And we've never, we haven't done it yet. So it right. would be uh, interesting to see somebody really, you know, stick and decide, no, we're not, we're not going to abide by the summons. Then what does the House do? Um, but uh, it, it did not go there. Uh, they have agreed to show up on Monday, although yeah. it might not be the hearing that committees wanted, committee members wanted. Right. It would be a, a whole different level of lockdown, that's for sure, uh, in this very interesting time. Althea, thank you so much. Look thank forward to speaking much, again. I appreciate this. Absolutely.
Thank you. No problem. Have a great weekend. That's HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief Althea Raj. It is not to politicians to make recommendations on usage of vaccines or uh, or intervals. It is for experts uh, that Canada turns to. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Globe and Mail argues that as Canada's vaccine rollout ramps up, so does the confusion. The Globe writes, The lack of centralized booking and record-keeping and the use of outdated technology is going to make a complex job much harder. Seen from a macro level, Canada's vaccination rollout is hitting its stride. For Canadians, that may be all that matters. But viewed under a microscope, the rollout's early setbacks and confusing messages reveal a country that is unprepared to meet the challenges of the 21st century. In an editorial, the Toronto Star looks at the government response to the pandemic one year in. The Star writes, Canada should have been prepared when COVID-19 hit, yet we weren't so ready after all. Governments at all levels share responsibility, but the biggest player has been the federal government. It's the only one with a national mandate, and it has the biggest checkbook. It can't run health systems across the country and micromanage the local response to every emergency. But it must make sure this country is never again blindsided by such a threat to our collective well-being. After the past 12 months, there are no more excuses. At ctvnews.ca, Don Martin argues Justin Trudeau needs a stronger official opposition. Martin writes... With so much going so wrong for the Prime Minister, the Conservatives should be hauling in a bounty of first-place ribbons from a parliamentary field day. But you'd never know it as it approaches a policy convention being billed as Aaron O'Toole's first and perhaps last. If the Conservative coalition crafted during the Harper years continues in this direction, it could split anew, setting up the Liberals as a long-term natural governing party over splintered opposition forces. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. MPs will debate a private member's bill today aimed at making the Canada Pension Fund's massive multi-billion dollar investment arm more ethical. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, this afternoon, the last order of business before the House rises for a week's recess will be to debate Bill C-231. That's a bill put forward by Hamilton, Ontario, NDP MP Scott Duval. It calls upon the government to add to the mandate of the Canada Pension Plan Plan Investment Board that its investments may not be made into any company that is known to be involved or has been convicted of being involved in human rights or labour violations or environmental infractions. Also, any company involved with the production of arms or ammunition or implements of war prohibited under international laws, and any company that has been found guilty of acts of corruption of any sort. In other words, the bill tries to uh, inject a very strict ethical code into the billions of dollars of investments made by the Canada Pension Plan Investment Board. Now, this is obviously an attempt to bring the principles of ethical investment to a huge pool of money which has come from Canadians. Mr. Duval's private member's bill will be debated at first reading, so MPs will be debating on whether to send it to committee for further study. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will hold a news conference on the COVID-19 situation, along with Health Minister Patty Haidu, Public Services Minister Anita Anand, and Intergovernmental Affairs Minister Dominic LeBlanc. Defence Minister Harjit Sajjan will participate in a panel discussion as part of the Ottawa Conference on Defence and Security, hosted virtually by the CDA Institute. 
Minister of Digital Government Joyce Murray will announce support for women-led businesses through the Women Entrepreneurship Strategy Ecosystem Fund. Natural Resources Minister Seamus O'Regan will make a renewable energy announcement. Environment Minister Jonathan Wilkinson will deliver an update related to community infrastructure. Infrastructure Minister Catherine McKenna will take part in a virtual national announcement. And Green Party leader Annamie Paul will speak at a summit on a guaranteed livable income. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, March the 12th. Tune into Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC for coverage of all the week's events. Our podcast returns Monday morning. Have a great weekend.